Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you so much uh, singing for us and blessing our hearts. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 5. In a moment, we're going to also look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. So you might uh, have that in mind in a moment. But today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And we talked about walking as children in the light. First few verses of chapter 5 deal with walking in love. The next few verses deal with walking in the light. And today, we want to talk about walking in wisdom. Verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. (laughs) Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Many of you still remember Will Rogers. And the, I have a few quotes from the wisdom of Will Rogers. For example, good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that experience comes from bad judgment. Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. If you're riding ahead of the herd, take a look back every now and then to make sure it's still there. If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. After eating an entire bull, a mountain lion felt so good, he started roaring. He kept it up until a hunter came along and shot him. And the moral is, when you're full of bull, keep your mouth shut. There's two theories to arguing with a woman. Neither one of them works. And I'm sure every man just said amen. If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. Never slap a man who's chewing tobacco. Always drink upstream from the herd. And the last thing from Will Rogers is the quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it back into your pocket. Now, someone else wrote this. I don't know the uh, author of it, but I like it. It said, knowledge, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing what a tom- that a tomato is a fruit. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Here, we have the word fool, or do you hear the word fool a lot, that we, don't, we walk circumspectly not as fools, Most of the time, the word fool refers to somebody that is either irresponsible or unintelligent. But scripture defines a fool as a person who has in his heart said there is no God. Psalm 14.1, there is no God and who is morally corrupt doing abominable things. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool is a person who lives apart from God. 
Now, most of you who are watching me tonight, you love the Lord. You already have committed your life to the Lord and, and you're not a fool, but the fool is a person who says there is no God or who lives without God, either as a theological or practical atheist. So, you know, some people say they believe in God, but practically they just don't act like they believe in God because you can't tell it by their life. When we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. And that means that our hearts are naturally against God and his ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it states that man, natural man, does not accept the things of God uh, or the spirit of God. The natural man has the most important things in his life reversed. He thinks foolishness is wisdom and wisdom is foolishness. The fools spread their foolishness. The more he's convinced of the wisdom of his folly, the more he propagates it, the more you see that. But the scripture says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the kind of wisdom that the Bible praises was not the wisdom that the Greeks thought was very was worth anything. They their wisdom was characterized by philosophy. And in the scripture, on the other hand, wisdom is centered in the conviction and behavior of specifically recognizing and obeying God. That's what wisdom is. And when a person is saved, he come, goes from the realm of foolishness into the realm of wisdom because he knows who he belongs to. He knows who saved him. He knows he has purpose. He knows he's worth something. And just as being a Christian leads him to walk worthily in verse 1 of chapter 4 and humbly in verse 2, and then in unity, verses 3 through 16, and then we're separated from the world's ways in verses 17 through 32, and then in love in chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 5, 1 through 7, then in light, verses 8 through 14, now we're led to walk in wisdom. So what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in wisdom. Circumspectly is what the word is, but it means to walk in wisdom. Well, the first thing is that we're to walk with caution. You see, verse 15 says, see then, or therefore, refers back to verse 14 when he says, wake up, those of you who are asleep, arise from the dead, come to Christ, he'll give you life, and therefore, you're going to walk in wisdom. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. It, it, it talks about observing, looking around, and the word walk is based on what he's been teaching as wise, walking in humility. Now, the word circumspectly means, it comes from two words that means to look around while you're walking. One of the words means to walk, the other one's to look around. You put them together, and circumspectly means to walk looking around, noticing what's going on around you. It means to be alert, to be awake as believers walking through spiritual minefield of this world. It doesn't take you long to be distracted. And if you're not careful, you take your eyes off the Lord. You, you've got to be, be careful. Just like when you are going to cross the street, you look both ways because you don't want to get hit by a car. Well, Walking in the world, you need to be wise in looking where you're headed, where you're going, what you're watching, and so forth. 
Satan puts all kinds of minefields in front of us. So to walk with caution does not mean we walk in fear, but we walk knowing that Satan would do anything he could to derail us. Now, obviously, with all of this coronavirus going on, we're walking cautiously, trying to be careful with what we touch and, and, and so forth to keep from getting this virus. Well, with that same attitude spiritually, we ought to be walking in our life. What am I reading? What am I watching? Where am I going? Am I headed in the right direction following the Lord? Another thing that it means is to walk with consciousness. In verse 16, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Are you conscious about your life? Now, right now, we're numbering our days, aren't we? We almost feel like we've been put in jail, having to just mark the wall till time passes. But this word, walking, this, this, this phrase, walking with consciousness, or this verse, redeeming the time, really speaks of several things. First of all, it speaks of the shortness of life. Making most of the time has the idea of buying, especially of buying back or buying out. It was used of buying a slave or to set him free, to set him free. The idea of redemption is implied here. We are to redeem, to buy up all the time we have and devote it to serving the Lord. We don't have long. The word time here is not the word chronos. There's two words for time in the New Testament. Chronos would be what your watch is. It's marking time, minute by minute, second by second. Then there's the word kairos, which means a fixed season. Uh, you think of your teenage years. That was a fixed season. Your middle-aged years. We think of spring. It's a fixed uh, uh, allotment of time. It's not moment by moment. And this has this word has the definite article in referring to a specific period. And what he's talking about is you need to redeem the allotted time you have on earth. You were born a certain day, you will die a certain day. This allotted time is what he's talking about. Redeem the time you have on earth. It is a fixed time. It's common not to finish what we begin. Sometimes somebody dies before their project is completed, a painting is completed, or a symphony, or a project is left half undone because the worker dies. But sometimes it's just because our desire dies. We just get tired of working on it, and we stop it, and we never finish it. There are a lot of people who never finish anything. Dr. Leslie Weatherhead calculated out the average length of life with the hours in one day in order to illustrate the importance of numbering our days. Here's his conclusion. He said, if your age is 15, now this is starting, I guess, with um, midnight beginning the, being the beginning of the day, a.m. If your age is 15, it's 1025 a.m. If you have a 24-hour day, your life represents 24 hours. Your, your age is 15, 10, 25 a.m. If you're 20, it's 11:34 a.m. If you're 25, it's 12:42 p.m. If you're 30, 1:51 p.m. 35, it's 3 p.m. If it's, you're 40, 
You're, it's 4.08 p.m. 45, 5.15 p.m. 50, 6.25 p.m. 55, 7.34 p.m. 60, 8.42 p.m. 65, it's 9.51 p.m. And if you're 70, it's 11 p.m. You got a couple of thousand seconds left in this day, and then by average, it's thousands of days to follow. Make them count by numbering them. Someone wrote, yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is the only cash you have. Spend it wisely. We run through life like we're going to live forever. And maybe you've already been given three score and 10 and then three, four score and you're beyond. But the fact is, no matter what allotted time we have, it's short. There's an ancient Greek statue that depicted a man with wings on his feet, a large lock of hair on the front of his head and no hair at all on the back. And beneath it was this inscription, who made thee? Lysippus made me. What is thy name? My name is opportunity. Why hast thou wings on thy feet that I may fly away swiftly? Why hast thou a great forelock that men may seize me when I come? Why art thou bald in the back that when I am gone, no one can lay hold of me? Interesting concepts, but we don't like to be reminded, but you know, right now, we are reminded of the brevity and the frailty of life. You really don't know how old you are. I've said this many, many times. You don't know how long you have on this earth. You don't know what the allotted time is. And so in this time frame, if, if God has given you 35 years and you're already 25, then you're, you don't have long left. You just don't know how long we have on the earth. And especially now, look at how many different ages of people are succumbing to this virus. It's not just an old person's virus. It's for everybody. That's why we have to be so careful. But the fact is, that 18-year-old that passed away this week, last week, didn't think that it was his time. He thought he had lots of, or he, I don't know if it's a he or she, they thought they had lots of time, I would imagine. The fact is, the shortness of life is what he's saying. Wake up, the days are short. And he also shows that, this, it shows the sinfulness of the last days. The days are evil. Not only is life short, but we live in a sinful time, the sinfulness of, those, of these last days. The world continues to be opposed and to hinder the work of the Lord. Ephesus was surrounded by paganism and infiltrated by heresy. Greediness and dishonesty and immorality were a way of life in Ephesus, a way in which most of the believers themselves once used to live until they came to know Jesus. Now, I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to read verses 1 through 7 and then verse 13. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I want to also read verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now you can break this last day picture down into several categories to see how evil the days are. First of all, the first one's I call misdirected love. It says lovers of self. It means to be fond of self. I don't even have to do, define that one, do I? Is everyone concerned about themselves today? Pretty much so. It's Christians who are taught to be thinking of other people, but mankind is basically selfish. Whenever the love for self is raised, the love of God and for the things of God is lowered. And self-love is a modern sense that's traced back to humanism. Humanism that says that, that man is God. And if God is ruled out, man is a product of personal chance. The next one is covetousness, lovers of money. It's still misdirected love, materialism. Lovers of pleasure in verse four, which is the, we get our word hedonism or hedonist from that. It's not limited to the desire for comfort and fine food and sexual satisfaction and other indulgences. A self-centered, per, a self-centered person loves all of that stuff and it can even become perverse rather than God not more than God, rather than God. Lovers of themselves rather than God. The second breakdown is the breakdown of relationships. Boasters. It naturally follows the first two. He's an empty pretender, a know-it-all that tries to deceive people into thinking they're brilliant. They're always the heroes of their own stories. You ever met anybody like that? Every time they tell a story, they are the hero. They never make a mistake. They're, it's always focused on them. People that boast about themselves. If somebody's got to brag about themselves, there's something wrong. The next word is proud. It means overbearing. They're arrogant. They look down on other people. Blasphemers which means to be slanderous and abusive, reproachful. It, speaks, it means to speak injury to others, injury to God. Man, you see a lot of that on the, on the television, don't you? 
You see a lot of that in the newscasters and the news, not the casters necessarily, but a lot of the media slanderers, which is the word diabolos, meaning devil. It means malicious gossip, to slander other people. Boy, that's becoming what a lot of social media is, it's just slandering other people without self-control. They can't control their own carnal desires. And this was written 10 years ago, but the American society has become more intrigued by moral issues in recent years as evidenced by the fact that 55% of adults discuss moral issues with others during a typical week. But a nationwide survey by the Barna Group indicates that Americans have also redefined what it means to do the right thing in their own eyes. Researchers asked adults which, if any, of eight behaviors with moral overtones that they had engaged in during the past week. The behaviors included exposure to pornography, using profanity in public, gambling, gossiping, engaging in sexual intercourse with someone to whom they were not married, retaliating against someone, getting drunk, and lying. A majority of adults had engaged in at least one of those eight behaviors during the past week. And according to George Barna, who directed the survey, the results reflect a significant shift in American life. Quote, we are witnessing the development and acceptance of a new moral code in America, says the researcher and author who's been surveying the trends in faith and morality for more than 25 years. Mosaics have had little exposure to to traditional moral teaching and limited accountability for such behavior. The moral code began to disintegrate when the generation before them, the baby busters, pushed the limits that had been challenged by their parents, the baby boomers. The result is that without much fanfare or visible leadership, the United States has created a moral system based on convenience, feelings, and selfishness. The consistent deterioration of the Bible as the source of moral truth has led to a nation where people have become independent judges of right and wrong, basing their choices on feelings, and circumstances. It's not likely that America will return to a more traditional moral code until the nation experiences significant pain from its moral choices. Paul also mentions brutal, untamed, like ravening wolves, despisers of those that are good. They're not good and hate everything that is. They despise the truth. Heady, headstrong, and self-willed, haughty, high-minded, conceited, and puffed up. You see the breakdown of relationships. You just see it. People are so unkind to one another. I'm thankful that we live in West Texas. I mean, pretty much people are friendly. There are some knotheads, though. And you know what a knothead is. There are some knotheads around here, but the fact is, when we read of what's going on in our nation and in our world, we wonder how in the world can people become so brutal and so hateful? 
The next category in that passage in 2 Timothy is the breakdown of the family. Disobedient to parents. That's opposite of what the scripture teaches. Children who will rebel against their parents will have no qualms of rebelling against anything else. If you don't learn respect for authority in the home, you'll have no respect for authority anywhere else. Parents, please teach your children and you can't just talk to them sometime. Sometime the um, Board of Education helps. I don't mean beating them, but I'm telling you, the Lord put padding back there on our rear end for a reason because sometimes it needs to be paddled and children need to be taught to obey. You can't reason with them all the time. Unthankful, it says. No gratitude to parents or friends or God. Kids grow up and they're not even grateful for what they have. The person who elevates self above others will feel that they deserve everything. And so generations grow up not even appreciating what their parents have done or their their friends or God has done. And then it has the word unholy, without reverence or respect toward holy things. Ignorance of God's requirements or a pure heart. It carries the idea of gross indecency. It was used of a person who refused to bury a dead body or who committed incest. The unholy person is driven by self-love to gratify his lusts and passions. How do we create symbolic virtue? We take the standards of morality that we have inherited from past generations then we drain away the idea of a just and holy God that was associated with that morality. And then we siphon off any notion of punishment for falling short of the standard. Then we redefine the obligations to God to mean mutual obligations to each other as human beings. We focus on the positive, on a few actions that people can do rather than on the many possible violations of the standard or the common ways that we fall short of the standard. Then we change the name from morality to ethics. That came from Stephen Keeler in the book Prisoners of Hope. Cynicism has gone too far. This is from a movie producer. Oliver Stone, cynicism has gone too far. We are becoming what the history books tell us late Rome was like, mired in decadent self-absorption and lacking virtue. Also under the breakdown of the family's truce breakers, unreasonable, will not even make a truce or come to the conference table. They just continue the feud from now on. You need to remember you've got that allotted time and the most important relationship you have next to God is that relationship with your family. Don't waste another day not trying to reconcile with your family. But then not only is a breakdown of the family, notice there's a breakdown of the church. You might be surprised to discover that people such as these people listed here in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy can be religious people. They sound like a bunch of brutal beasts, but a lot of these people are religious. 
It says they have a form, verse five, a form of godliness or religion, but no power. Outside looks good. Inside is dead. Many of you remember the big luxury cruise ship called the Queen Mary. Now, it was, its heyday was back in the 30s. It was launched in 1936. And for 40 years and World War, she served until she was retired and anchored as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. But during the conversion of moving her from active being a cruise ship and a luxury ship to a museum, they removed the three massive smokestacks off of that ship and put them on the dock because they were going to scrape them down and repaint them. But when they put them on the dock, they crumbled into pieces. Nothing was left of the three-quarter inch steel plate from which the stacks had been formed, all that remained were 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years. The steel had rusted away, and so when they removed it, it was just paint. When Jesus called the Pharisees, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. He meant they had no substance on the inside only an external appearance. And there are a lot of people who just keep putting on coats of paint to make it look good on the outside. First Timothy 3, 7, he said, they're always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. You know, people can go to Bible studies and they can learn a lot about the Bible. They can be faithful in worship and hear good sermons or bad ones too, but still never come to the knowledge of the truth. Until you come to Christ, your life never changes. The evil days refers to that period of our life, uh, the difficult days. You know, Solomon even said, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and you have no pleasure in them. As we get older, some of the days are not as pleasurable as they used to be. But the fact is, if you don't come to Christ and him change your heart, then you just have the makings of it. It looks, it looks like a big facade. It looks good on the outside. My prayer is that people right now are coming to realize that all of this stuff that they thought was so important in their life that has been taken away, sports, all of the stuff, not, I'm not just picking on sports, but all of the activities, all of the entertainment, all of it, all of a sudden people are, are brought back to the reality. It's just them and their relationship with their family. And some people are beginning to think about God. There are probably more people praying now than have been praying. And I'm praying that it will open up a spiritual awakening in our nation. After 9-11 happened, people filled the churches. Didn't last very long. Everybody got back to normal. But you know what? If you know Christ... The new normal is following him, remembering the days are short. 
the shortness of life. So you walk, you're walking with consciousness. You're walking with caution, but also the last thing I'll share with you in verse 17 is that we walk with comprehension. Do not be unwise. It repeats the previous plea, but uses a different word in verse than in verse 15, which means senseless or foolish. In verse 15, let me go back to uh, Ephesians here. Not as fools, but as wise. And then therefore do not be unwise. Two different words Verse 15 means senseless or foolish. But here he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. When he says that be unwise, focus on what God wants you to do. Don't be ignorant of God's will for you. Now you know the Lord, but what is God's will for you? What is the will in each situation? I read a thought-provoking article entitled, If You Are 35, You Have 500 Days to Live. And the point was that when you subtract the time, sleeping, working, tending to personal matters, hygiene, odd chores, medical matters, eating, traveling, and miscellaneous time stealers, in the next 36 years, you'll have roughly the equivalent of only 500 days left to spend like you want. No wonder the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, in light of this passage that speaks about urgency and making the most of our time, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to walk around panicked or anxious. When we look around at the pervasiveness of evil and the unending needs of of evangelism, we see that we can become overwhelmed. In fact, if anything, I don't feel panicked. I feel burdened. There are so many needs right now. How do we meet all of those needs? But that's when we have to come back and say, Lord, what do you want me to do to understand what the will of the Lord is? Because the Lord has a job for each of us. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same talents and gifts. But God has a will for us. Obviously, God's moral will is listed in the scripture for us. But did you know God has a purpose for you? I can remember as a teenager praying, Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do with my life? And so few people approach the Lord that way anymore, just saying, well, Lord, I want you in my life, but you're not going to control me. I, I'm just going to love you, and, and I'll come worship you every now and then. But you know, in your business or wherever you work, whatever you're doing, God has a will for you. And that's what he's saying Don't waste your time. Find out what God's will is for you. And and that will is to love our neighbor as ourself, to to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, body. We're, We're to love him with all of our being, to understand what the will of the Lord is. God's basic will is found in the scripture, but here this word means to a specific leading of each person. Lord, what would you have me to do? And that ought to be our prayer every day. What would you have me to do today? You can interrupt me any way that you want, but I'm going to follow you and serve you and help me to know what your will is.
Obviously, moral issues, that is his will. But I'm talking about being led by his spirit to do things that maybe you hadn't thought about doing. We need to walk in wisdom. Obviously, right now, practically speaking, you have to be wise to wash your hands and to keep your distance and to not expose yourself. And I, I read all kinds of things about, oh, this is just a big conspiracy and, on and so forth. And folks, sometimes you don't know what to believe, but I do believe it's a serious thing and we need to be wise to take care of yourself. But also know the Lord has a will for our life too. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that next Wednesday, we're going to talk about the subject of can a Christian drink alcohol? Because we're right there in that passage, be not drunk with wine. Now, what does that mean? And what does it mean for believers? And so um, it's probably a good thing that I'm going to do this online so that you can't throw anything at me, but I'm going to deal with that subject next Wednesday night. So I hope to join you then. I will tell you that um, our plans are to have some kind of gathering, not physically, but online, um, on Good Friday. Good Friday is a week from this Friday, and we have the drive-in reserve, the Stars and Stripes drive-in, and if we're able to go out there and stay in our cars and do this, we're going to meet out there and have a Good Friday service and have the Lord's Supper, and, and we're going to give you all the details next week. If we can't do that, then we're going to do it online. So one way or the other, we're going to have a Friday night for that Good Friday night, a Good Friday service, and we'll tell you more about that next week. I will tell you that... A week from Saturday, which is the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter, uh, Josh Wilson is going to do a concert just for Southcrest. And anybody that you invite, there'll be no cost to get online to watch it. If you want to give a love offering, you can, but we're, we've lined this up just to the people of our church, and we're going to get the word out to you. But Josh will do an online concert. You can watch him online and it won't cost you anything uh, unless you just want to help his ministry and share. So there's no cost to get to that concert. We'll give you those informations. We're doing the best we can as far as trying to stay in touch with you. We've got people calling. I hope that you're calling. I hope your Sunday school class is keeping up with each other. Um, just keep in mind that we're, we're not alone. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. There are a lot of people out here that love you and are praying for you. And let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that you have a purpose and a will for each of us. And may we be children not only of well, that walk in love and walk in light, but help us to walk in the wisdom of your will, to do what you've called us to do, to be cautious, to be conscious, to comprehend what your will is and to live it that way. Please continue to protect our precious people. And Lord, help us to be lights in a world of darkness and to share the hope and good news of Jesus with friends. People are listening. People are awake. People are wondering. People are thinking about the end of life issues. 
Not that everyone's going to die, but they're thinking, what would happen to me if I were to die from this virus? I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to share the good news of Jesus with them. Thank you again. I thank you for these camera operators and these sound folks and the folks that are working the PowerPoint, all of them. Thank you, Lord, for their willingness to come and help. We ask your blessings now this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.